Welcome to Tell Me More Live, the recorded version of our live storytelling night at the Push Comedy Theater in Norfolk, Virginia. In this recording... Ladies and gentlemen, coming to the stage, my friend, Harvest Ballante! All right. I'm not used to being first, so pardon me. Um, hello. So, Brendan, when he thinks of deadlines... Um, it's not quite how, conjure the same ideas as I think. When I think of deadlines, I think of stress. And generally speaking, I think most people would tell you that one of the, or, or one of the top maybe three most stressful moments in their life is probably a wedding. Would you guys tend to agree? I think a lot of people are nodding. I've never been married, actually. But most people tell me that. And, of course, you have, I understand, because all the details, you've got the pickup, the drop-off, the many details that have to get worked out. And for, for most brides and grooms that I've known over my life, they will tend to selectively choose, if they can, their bridal party so that all of those little details can be sort of supported by friends and family members to help them out and make sure things are executed smoothly. Enter Harvest. So, uh, in 2004, my friend, a grad school friend of mine who, who was in film school with me, Jason, was getting married. And his fiance, he was from Florida, had moved out to California. His fiance had followed him shortly thereafter. And so I got to know both of them relatively well. And I was a little bit surprised when Shelly invited me to be part of the wedding party. Um, I didn't know Shelly really well, but I felt like we were more acquaintances. Nevertheless, it was an opportunity for me to get to be in both of their parties, or, or I'm sorry, in their weddings, and, and these were two friends, so I wholeheartedly agreed. Um, I wanted to be one of those people that supported my friends, that helped all those little details run smoothly, um, but I'm also me. And I, we're in 2004, so one of the recurring themes that seems to come up in a lot of my stories that I tell is that I am terrified of flying. That's a little bit of backstory for me. I will usually do as much as humanly possible to avoid getting into an airplane. And this was, of course, going from California to Florida, so we're talking about a six-hour or so flight. Um, I'm also kind of a romantic at heart. Um, I am a Victorian literature major, and then I was studying film at this time as well. So there was a part of me that really romanticized the idea of traveling cross-country you know, on the ground. And I chose, uh, much to the chagrin of basically everyone I knew, to ride the Greyhound bus from... Yes, I know. You're already seeing where it's going. <laughs> From California to Florida to join my friends for their wedding. Because there was a seriously part of me, now besides just the fact that I didn't have a whole lot of money back then, I was a grad student, there was seriously the, the overarching desire that I thought, oh, awesome, you know, the Greyhound bus. <laughs> I can, even saying it, um, I, can, I can sit, you know, and stare out the window and look at the scenery of, of our great countryside as it was always intended to be seen. I'll meet exotic strangers. Um, and, and <laughs> yes, and while there is certainly a level of exoticism within the Greyhound rider that, that we understand, <laughs> um, more on that later, but... Um, 
I thought, you know, this will be a great opportunity. I'll have my notebook with me, and as, as I'm writing, I'll be able to jot notes down and, and kind of create this, this great American screenplay that I just know I have in my head. So I could not be dissuaded. All right, taking the Greyhound. I arrived at Santa Ana Station, so I was living in Orange County at the time. I arrived at Santa Ana Station at about 10 o'clock at night, and the Greyhound window was closed at the time. So the nice woman who worked in the office said, oh, yeah, you just you buy your ticket at the, the Los Angeles station. That was, that was kind of the first little hiccup in my trip. Um, so I stood there. She said, the, the, the bus for the L.A. station will be coming soon. All right, I'm waiting. This other woman and her adult son start to walk up, and um, I notice that they're looking for the same thing that I was. So I said to them, you know, to be helpful, hey, you know, by the way, uh, she just told me that the ticket window is closed, but we can get our tickets in L.A. At this point, Terry, the, the mother, as I came to find out, began to unleash a string of obscenities at me. Um, not, not so much at me, more at the, directed at the fucking goddamn Greyhound people who had told her that she could get there and buy her fucking ticket and she was going to get that ticket. And she began just to rattle on while her son kind of shrunk away and I was doing the same thing and I'm kind of backing off going, okay, I'll see you in L.A. And... Uh, Sure enough, I was excited when I heard the bus pull up, got on the bus, we made it to L.A., we got our tickets. Oh, by the way, the L.A. bus station at midnight is a, is a really good place to be, too. Um, so already the trip, is, the trip is very exciting, and we've just started. Um, so we get to our, to our actual bus in L.A., and right away, as soon as I set foot on it, I realized that my, my hopes of being able to scribble away this, this great masterpiece and kind of lounge are going to uh, be dashed because we were completely full to capacity. So I ended up sitting next to Terry and her son, Pierce. Um, Terry was going to goddamn fucking sleep right away because she had had a rough day already. So, okay, Terry, good night. Um, Pierce decided to stay up for a little while, and he and I began to talk. He let me know pretty, pretty right off the bat that he had um, been out in Orange County for a few months before he had been thrown in jail, and Mom had been so upset that she came out to get him, but only on the promise that he would return with her, so that's where they were going now, was to Arizona. Um, actually, a nice guy. I never found out what the crime was. We, we kind of just talked about other things. And by Palm Springs, we were sharing a pillow and, and a blanket. So, I mean, that's what you do on the Greyhound. It's kind of interesting when I think about it now, too. I kind of go, you know, this was 2004, of course. So nowadays, you would have been like, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'll Facebook friend a felon. You know, let me, let me keep in touch with you. But, but we, we don't do that. So I really have no idea whatever happened with, with Terry and Pierce. But they, they de- um, departed in uh, Arizona. The rest of the way, for for a little while longer, I did have some room to spread out and see some of that beautiful countryside that I had been yearning for, and a lot of it, just spoiler alert, is just flat brown, and uh, (laughs) it's not not much else to see, but, um, (laughs) and the highway, it's beautiful. Um, We arrived, we took on some more people throughout Texas, 
Uh, my favorite of all of my exotic passengers was a guy that, in my head, I never really knew his name, but in my head I called him Sideshow Bob, because if you remember the Simpsons and the Sideshow Bob character, this is what this kid looked like to a T. And he also sat down and began talking to me and opened up rather quickly about the fact that his parents had run him out of town uh, from Florida six years prior, but they had promised they were luring him back to Florida, and that was his destination, with the promise of a luxury apartment and a nice car, and Dad was going to help him cultivate his rap career. So if, if you think that we went the next 2,000 miles without getting treated to samples from the rap catalog of Sideshow Bob, you would be mistaken. So um, again, a time when you sort of do wish you had a, a cell phone to record these things. Um, Texas is about where the trouble started. We got to a place in Texas, I believe it was Houston, where we were asked to depart they were going to do some maintenance, and they said, you need to go wait in the depot, and when you come back, we need you to get on a different bus because we've oversold tickets, and so we need to split the bus. And so I kind of raised my hand. Well, is my luggage staying in, in this bus? Yeah, it's, but they're both going to the same place. It's fine. But I, I want to I wanna stay with my luggage. I don't want to go. No, it's fine. It's fine. Can you, you need to get off the bus. We're professionals. We're professionals. This is kind of one of those times, and I, I have many of these where I feel like I, I wish I was the feisty adult that I am today, but I, I was not. I was far too willing to acquiesce, so I just said, okay, okay. I went into the depot. About a half an hour later, they called us. A, a kind of an interesting thing happened. I really think that my innocence and naivete um, sort of probably was more prevalent than I even realized because as we were back in line, I'm always one of the first in line to get back on the bus, there was a new driver, and he starts ushering people in, and he sees me, and he says, you go over here, over here. And he kind of puts his hand and, and like, ushers me back and then continues to usher people. Okay, and I'm thinking, okay, am I in trouble? Like, what's going on? And he continues to just hold one hand back and keep bringing the rest of the people on. We're getting towards the end of the passengers. And finally, everybody had boarded the bus, and he looked at me and said, you're going to sit behind me. I was like, oh. Okay, and I so I got like the cushy seat kind of right behind the driver, and I, I really think it was kind of a protective um, moment for him that I just did not look like I belonged back with Sideshow Bob <laughs> and the rest of I was like this innocent girl. Okay, so um, so I finally got this nice cushy seat for myself for a while, and um, yes, I should have been writing my great American screenplay, but um, you'll never guess what I did instead. I slept because really that's what you do on a Greyhound bus. You sleep and you stew in your own juices for a number of days. So uh, we finally arrived in Florida and I bid farewell to, to some of the people I met. I did meet some interesting folks. Uh, we had um, one woman I remember who was, um, oddly enough, she was handing out her daughter's address information because her daughter had fallen in with kind of the wrong crowd in Las Vegas, and mom wanted to inspire her to have better pen pals. Like, again, like this is the way things worked back then. So she was handing out cards and going, please, you know, write to my daughter, talk to her about things. I'll never know what ended up happening with that, um, but we, I hope for the best. We had um, a couple of people, one guy, a hazmat driver who had spent most of the time complaining about the, the wrong route that the bus driver was taking, and 
he departed as well. The final person that I missed most was, of course, Sideshow Bob. And I didn't really have the heart to tell him when I saw out the window his dad pulling up in this BMW wearing a three-piece suit in the middle of June in Florida that I didn't think dad was actually going to help cultivate his rap career for him. I, I just, that was my gut instinct. But um, nonetheless, you know, bid him farewell. We arrived in Sarasota, and a little audience participation here. What do you think was not waiting for me? <laughs> Woo, yes, you guys, you've paid attention to the foreshadowing, yes. So my luggage, with my bridesmaid dress, of course, was not waiting for me in Sarasota, as promised by the professionals. Poor Shelley. This is where I start to feel bad because of all the things you don't want the, a couple of days before your wedding, you don't want to have to go pick up your bridesmaid who is crying and puffy-faced because she has lost her bridesmaid dress. Shelly really helped me out. She took me immediately to Old Navy. We bought some clothes for me to actually wear. We started calling different David's bridles. I had been assured by the professionals that my dress would arrive sometime tomorrow in theory. But, you know, what do you do when we're talking about a wedding? You're, you're, again, up against a deadline here. So I ended up being able to at least help Shelly out a little bit. She had been overwhelmed at her house and needed a respite, so I offered my hotel room. And even though I had been looking forward to doing little more than just having a nice bath and sleeping, I thought, that's the least I can do. So Shelly got to stay with me, and that was a, a nice gesture. And the wedding proceeded. The next day, or the wedding plans proceeded, we met uh, with all of the bridal party. Um, it turns out I'm not the only crazy one in this bridal party. In fact, I started feeling a little bit better after we all met together. Um, we had a couple of friends from Jason and Shelley's in college. We had uh, a gay gentleman who ended up being sort of my weekend savior. And we had um, both exes of Jason and Shelley because they had decided in a somewhat masochistic way that... Each of them would have their ex-partner be their dude of honor slash uh, woman, best woman. Yeah, and some of you are looking really <laughs> as shocked as I was. I don't know why you would ever want to have your exes standing there with you as you exchange your vows. And I'm not sure who did it first, but I imagine then the result was sort of a retaliatory, okay, well, my ex will be my person, you know. Um, Nevertheless, the good news is the dress did arrive, and we had a steamer. We were able to get the wrinkles out. We were able to get me my clothes. We were able to get to the wedding on time. Things fell into place. It ended up being, for as, for as crazy as the circumstances were, it ended up really being a beautiful wedding and a fun time. Um, everybody really enjoyed one another, and we met kind of random people. I mean, talk about, again, exotic people that I was meeting from all over. Um, we had, I remember, a very nice moment after the wedding where we all went to the beach and just stood out in a thunderstorm. And, and I think, if nothing else, that kind of just made me you know, feel like I was in the right place at the right time and sort of, uh, if you ever feel like all is right with the world, that's, that's how I felt. There was really only one sour note the whole time. Um, I had decided to get on my big girl pants and go ahead and fly home because I thought, this has been a little too much of a disaster. I'm going to go ahead and just bite the bullet and fly home. I had made that reservation earlier that day, 
But at the wedding reception, nobody knew this yet, and Shelly's dad, I remember, came up to me and kind of said, oh, Harvest, you're the one who took the bus out here, right? And I said, yeah. He shakes my hand, and he hands me this wad of cash. And he says, well, we want you to fly home. There you go. And it was a, a nice gesture, I know, on his part. It made me feel about this big. Uh, because I really, I mean, how could I say to this man, oh, no, it really wasn't about the money. It was really just about my ridiculous notion that this was going to be, you know, an adventure. But, um, but what do you do? I accepted it, and I said thank you and went on my way. Um, Glenn's great idea was that the day of the flight out, we would all sit at the um, TGI Fridays that was in the airport and just drink. <laughs> and that would help me because my departure was about the third one from everyone else's. So it's like, all right, good. We'll get Harvest at least three ultimate mudslides in her before she has to get on the plane, which is a great idea. And again, these people were really helpful to me. Um, I, I took a, a, a Tylenol PM to help sort of kick it, which is not recommended. <laughs> um, but I thought, okay, I'll really get myself, you know, just as loopy as can be before I have to get on the flight. And I'm telling you guys, when I, when I say there's a phobia at play here, as I, I could barely walk through the line of security, but as soon as I set foot on the actual plane itself, I was rigid, I was stone cold sober, I sat the rest of the flight awake, white knuckled, it's, it's mind over matter for me, even though my body was fighting against it and I could feel myself even shaking because it was like I needed to go to bed, I couldn't do it. So I did make it home safe, obviously you can see that I'm standing here in front of you and I, I thought about this story a little bit and I, I really want, whenever I tell stories here, I always try to kind of come up with a like moral of the story or, or what is the lesson learned. This one I struggled with because to be honest, I don't know that I would tell anyone, I mean, yes, going greyhound is sort of a godforsaken form of travel if you're traveling that many days. But on the other hand, I set out for an interesting adventure and meeting new people and seeing some of the country and I accomplished all that so for all the naysayers they they were absolutely right but they were also dead wrong so I, it was kind of simultaneous it, it worked in a, in a few ways um, so I really didn't know if there was if there was a lesson to be learned other than simply to go with your gut and to sometimes seek out these adventures even in the midst of, of deadlines and uh, and also to let you know, I guess this is a small crowd, but I was going to throw it out there that I am available to be in anyone's bridal party if you are feeling like you're kind of needing to live on the edge a little bit. So just keep that in mind. You can reach me through Push Comedy Club. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. I appreciate it. If you'd like to tell a story like this one or just enjoy the show, visit tellmemorelive.org. That's tellmemorelive.org, where you'll find a list of upcoming shows, plenty of ways to pitch your story, and our podcast featuring storytellers from previous shows. Until next time, thanks for listening to Tell Me More Live.